it's hitting all those results and solutions and backing it up with specifics as opposed to we do cleaning services. Who cares? It's also got that emotion there. You know, they're out there shopping with their family, getting little baby chinos and the kids doing the ride on yeah. the pirate ship or whatever, and then they come home with the bags and the kids are exhausted and they just want they want that ah you know like you hear music in the background we like yeah this it, one it's it's so oh, loud my <laughs> brand new house <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is super fast business with james shranko helping you build your business super fast, fast. james shranko here welcome back to superfastbusiness.com this is episode 913 and today we're having a chat with Toe Cracker again. Welcome back. Good to be back, James. Yeah, I appreciate it. Three times in what about ten months. So I know you're not short, no shortage of guests. So it's a privilege to be back again. Well, it's partly a testimony to your marketing ability, but for the most part, it's the quality of the content. Every time we publish a podcast, I'm getting a great reaction. But even beyond that, I'm actually using this stuff in my own work. So, for example, I've been adding a lot of S's. Two <laughs> words since episode, uh, what is it, 843 we did together. Yeah. A truckload of ahas. That one I got a universal reaction of aha from my audience when it went live. So, you know, what I really want to do is stay consistent with delivering value for my audience and bringing back guests who they resonate with. It should be said too that throughout these recordings, I've never had an affiliation with you. I don't earn any commission or anything from this. I, I really just bring you in because. I like talking to you and uh, you've got great information that's very useful for my audience. So I want to say I appreciate you coming and sharing your valuable time with us because I know you can charge a lot for it. No, I'm really happy to share and I've enjoyed being on, obviously, your podcast and the audience because I get people, a guy joined the group the other day on Facebook and he's like, yeah, I loved your episode on you know, James' podcast. You know, So it's good to get that sort of feedback and um, you know, we'll probably do some sort of affiliation down the track with a bit of luck. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> so we wanted to go back and address this outrageous offers again and part two. We started off with episode 804 on this topic. And I still think it, it's like if there was an 80-20 or a 64-4 of online marketing, for the most part as a coach, the area that people struggle the most with, that also is the most important thing to be able to get right to be successful is the offer. I wouldn't be... Um, out of line if I said that you know 20 or 30% of the people I work with could be fixed up if they just tune their offer because all the rest of it, you actually get money to buy things like team, you get money to buy things like tools to grow your business and you also get money to put into reserves and to invest and become wealthy with. Nothing happens without the offer Yeah. and unfortunately people don't have, the, you know, they start off with, I guess where I started and maybe you did too, is like, you know, which copywriting book should I read and it's a long journey to get halfway decent. You're going to have to put in time, energy, money, effort, and you'll also have to, or you can buy someone who's already skilled with this, but it's not cheap if they're very good. You know, quite often the very, very good copywriters are not even procurable. I know one of them just made uh, over a million dollars last month just in his copywriting profession. So, you know, there's a scale, there's a level of scale where people are at on that sort of ability to come and help you with your offer. But if we could learn a couple of tips that we can incorporate into our business today in terms of offers or to get some juices flowing in, in ideas that we could work with, I think that would be a great outcome for this episode. Sounds good to me. I do also, by the way, I love your microphone. It's improved the sound quality over the last couple of episodes we've done. 
and it also partially hides your face, which is, you know, it's, it adds an element of mystery and intrigue to the show. Well, you know, I do have that face for radio and actually a friend of mine, she's an Australian, she lives here in Tuscany. She said to me the other week, uh, she does these drawings of people without eyes. And I was like, creepy, but cool. And literally while I was waiting for us to get on the podcast, she sends it through. And I was like, yeah, all I said was creepy, cool, thanks. You know, <laughs> but I think it's a better look. Nice. Oh, well, we, we'll get the content out there regardless of how it looks, but we want it to sound good. So where do you want to start off with this Outrageous Offers Part 2 episode? Have you seen something that uh, is on your mind that you think would be a, a great share? Like I, I've got several, you know, I always prep for podcast interviews and I was like, I went back through the, the other two podcasts to see what I'd gone through and then I stopped at 15 different sort of topics on Outrageous Offers, but there's a few gems in there and, you know, what's interesting from my perspective, because I'm sure some people think this as well, if myself or anyone else is talking about something they did a long time ago, as in, does it still work or can he still produce that sort of results today, right? So I've got some old stuff, but I've, I've got a new one, which is just a, a classic as well, which I'll go through in number two. But, you know, what was interesting, and when I look back on some of this stuff that I've done for clients, and again, it's the offer, you know, they hire you as the copywriter, but if the offer's weak, your copy is going to suck for the most part, or it might do okay, but it's not going to have that freaking Babe Ruth home run right, that you want it to have. So myself as the copywriter, I always want to get the offer to the best of my ability, right, whether that's changing the bonuses, putting the pricing up, obviously presenting it in a better way, giving the product a different title even can make all the difference. So the first story I want to share with you and obviously your audience was a property consulting company, they were property managers. They would find people that had a lot of uh, cash equity or property equity, and wanted to get in the property game, whether it be a small flip of a house up to major construction of units or big subdivisions. And they wanted to get more clients. The angle for them was you get them in front of the owner of the business and he will close them, right? Because you've got to understand the angle of the copy and make sure the offer you present does that job, right? My copy wasn't selling, wasn't closing the deal. It was probably 90% closing it. He just had to do the final bit. And now this guy was flamboyant, you know, gay, which is nothing, no problem for me. But he would always worry about a million dollars worth of gold and diamonds when the customer would come in, because usually husband and wife. And of course, she's looking at the gold and the diamonds and he would just go, if you want some of this love, sign up type scenario. But he had no guarantee in place, right? And they had a few different levels and the lowest level client was the biggest pains in the ass for them. You know, the mum and dad that might buy back then, you know, a property for 60, 70, 100 grand, do a bit of a run home, flip it, make 25, 30 grand, right? And they were charging them $5,000 back then, right? To basically sort of project manage the whole thing. They had a $25,000 level and their upper echelon was a 75K level. By the time I did my research, probed all their team, right? Spoke to him. This is what I came up with. I wrote a 15-page free report slash glorified sales letter to sell the appointment, you know, lead generation ad, toll-free recorded message, send the report out, normal sort of old-school direct mail. By the time I put the offer together, the $5,000 fee, I put up to $25,000. The twenty-five dollars to thirty-eight 
the 75 grand to 120,000. And I didn't tell them about this new level until I presented the copy. I put an upper level again, a quarter of a million. These are all upfront fees. Because I, from talking to them and looking at their own numbers, I said, people that were paying the 75 will pay the 120. You've got the runs on the board, you've got the proof, you've got the case studies. So, but there'll be a smaller element in there who's got much bigger equity will happily pay you a quarter of a million upfront. And it was easy. The royalties on that, he went for higher royalties, shorter period, and it was a nice payday, right? But it came down to the offer, looking at what they had going, well, you're not charging enough. Your $5,000 clients are really a pain. You either get rid of them or you charge more. And then there's that small group who'll pay this. And it just worked like gangbusters for him. A few takeaways from that. So one is it's pretty common for people to undercharge. And two is that there's usually always a percentage of your audience who would pay quite a lot more. I like the 10%, 10 times more metric. Seems to have worked out for me and also for my clients. Yeah, You know, it sort of, it works through. I've got a few cohorts in my own sphere, but I've got about 10 partners and I've got 20 legacy Silver Circle members and I've got hundreds of super fast business members of which they're broken into two levels. And the numbers work through on the price point versus volume. So an easy yeah. win from this conversation is, firstly, just revise where your pricing is at compared to what the market might bear. And also taking into account, you said a very, it's just a throwaway line almost, runs on the board. You've got the runs on the board. We will translate this podcast into English, by the way. It'll be up there on episode 913 on superfastbusiness.com. So if you're struggling to hear Trevor's English in, mixed into that Australian accent, <laughs> the runs on the board, what Trevor was saying was this customer had proven they can get results and maybe hadn't reevaluated their prices since that point. So once they've proven that they can get the results, the price can come up and it can sustain because it can be justified. And there's that little word because in there. So there's the two main things I took from that, reviewing your prices. And, and sometimes it takes an external party. And certainly that's the role I play a lot of the time to let someone know, hey, like, you know, you're outrageously cheap here. Yeah. Like actually steering people away who would have purchased had it been more because they're concerned that it's too cheap. So there must be therefore something wrong with it. And the second thing is, could you just come along and put a product on top of your highest level product? It's one of my favorite tools in the toolkit for coaching. Yeah. What could you sell for a whole lot more to a fraction of your current existing paying customers who know, like, trust you and want a deeper relationship? What can you offer those people? Yeah, it's, um, I enjoy doing that as well. And it's, um, you know, for me, just going into any business, looking at their offer and go, well, I'm not going to write your copy, but here's the offer. This will sell. Trust me. I'll get my writer to do it for you. And all I have to do is copy chief it because, yeah, the external eyes can see what you can't see as the business owner. I was talking to um, a potential new client only uh, late last week. And actually, no, it wasn't late last week. I've lost my days. It was um, Tuesday this week. That'd be the Tuscany effect. It is. Yeah. And he went down that normal spiel of people, oh, you know, sort of my business is different and have to compete on price. You know, I just let him go on and I just called bullshit on that. And I said, that's because you're doing a free quote. You need to be charging for a quote, stuff we discussed in the past, you know, call it or whatever report, you know, position it better, put a price on it, get your proof together, a decent proposal, 
and they'll pay more. You could just see the cogs ticking in his brain as I'm rattling this off, but he'd never thought of it. Well, you've mentioned two funnels here that I think would be good. The first one was the direct response funnel, and then you've just mentioned this one. What's your go-to checklist? So if we were to pull out a pen, all the copywriters love this one, your handwriter, what will be like the essential things we're going to have in our little campaign? What's Trevor's go-to campaign to roll out to a green customer who's never experienced this direct response? You, you rattled them off before, you know, direct response mail, a call number, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, if it was direct response, because I think it's a forgotten millions, mm. right? Well, everyone wants that instant gratification, right? The direct response is delayed gratification. So I'm going to look at it and go, all right, well, we can test the various offline direct sort of marketing tools, but there's going to be some sort of free report. There's going to be some sort of lead generation ad, right? And toll-free recorded messages still work. And I explained to them that the free report is a glorified sales mm-hmm. letter. And then it's going to be a three-step direct mail sequence over 30 days wrapped around that sort of direct mail package. And so it's, it's a paid report? Well, it can be. Or the free report. So you've got a free report, you run ads to the free report, they can call in a number, and then what happens next? They call in the number, they listen to a generally a 90-second script, right? Now, the reason that I've followed that 90-second model is you can say a lot in 90 seconds, run a smaller advert, so reduce your advertising costs, run a really kick-ass LGA lead generation advert just designed to get them to call the toll-free recorder message and get more punch and benefits and reasons why they should leave the details into the 90-second script. They request the information, out it goes. So if that free report is actually the sales letter to sell the product or service or to sell the appointment, then that part is free to there. So if it's to sell the appointment, then it's a phone call sales pitch. Yeah, or an in-person. If it's guys like business to consumer, like Barry's and my landscaping clients, where they're getting the leads come in, well, then we're coming up with the, the free report, right? or just give it a title or report, put a value on it and charge for it. So a lot of our landscaping clients are charging 297 pounds to do a free garden assessment report, whereas before they were just doing a free quote in the hope of getting the business. And I actually got some numbers from two partners this week, literally, because I, you know, I know they're doing this new thing that we came up with. So since the last episode, we launched some done-for-you templates and stuff for our higher-level clients. And part of it is we produce a 20-page high-resolution printable and digital version gardening magazine called Dream Garden Digest. They all get the same. We write the inside cover story. Our graphic designer just puts in their name. It looks like it's theirs, you know, white label. But we came up with the neighborhood farming letters. So I've taught them when they're on a project just do a you know, drop 15, maybe 20 around with a copy of the magazine and offering seven free garden assessments made at 297. Again, just a, just a little throwaway there, you know, when they're doing a job, just chuck it next door or whatever. For the last three or four years, I've had a lovely lady cleaning my place and then she started cleaning other places of mine all because she put a flyer in my letterbox. Yeah, I won't say her name, but it was such and such honest cleaning. And it had some bullets and I called her up, she came and that's it. And so over years, that's thousands and thousands of dollars. 
And when I talk to her, I say, how's business or whatever? Occasionally she'll say, oh, a couple of customers have moved or whatever. I'm like, you should do the flyers again. That's how I found you. She goes, oh, yes, you did. You did. And so, you know, sometimes we even forget to do the things that work. That's a classic. But I know for a fact as a consumer, that's been effective for me for home services. Yeah, look, it's big. And, you know, so I've done it for so many different industries as well. Followed the same formula, sort of my sort of direct mail formula that I've learned from others and adapted. And it works every single time, as long as they do what I say to do. That's it. (laughs) Yes. Sore point there. That's the hard part, though. It's easier to say. You know, people get their own preconceived ideas and, oh, that didn't work. And it's like, what did you do? Oh, I know you said to do it this way, but I did it that. Well, there's your problem. Yeah, we talked about that before when people pay you for advice, you give it to them and then they ignore it and then they get upset about it, which is classic. I imagine SMS and and messaging might be part of a a good channel too. This wall behind me is going to be a bookshelf, this entire wall. And uh, where I am now, it's hard to get a cabinet maker to actually answer the phone. I call the phone and I get an instant message and it says, if you're calling about cabinetry, we're booked out till next year, till the end of January. So if you're still interested, send a message. <laughs> like, seriously, I, I, like it can't be possible that there is unemployment in Australia because I can tell you that is months away you know, from when I wanted the thing and there's no supply, absolutely none. Same, it's the same for everything, from people who hang TV stands through to like pretty much every trade. And as soon as the swell comes, the waves come, there's like a, everything stops. All the tradies stop, all the work. So <laughs> I think there's a, no, there's opportunity a massive there. opportunity. So I think um, you know, a good marketing company could get a whole lot of services and trades and grow that into an empire, which is clearly what you guys do, you and your partner, Barry. I read your newsletters um, that you sent. Thank you very much. And um, it must have, must have been a real shock, shock to the culture. Someone who's out there with... Um, you know, like a shovel and a rake and potting plants and stuff, this whole direct response world would be alien to them. Yeah, look, for the most part it is, or they've dabbled in various attempts, but of course their offer sucks. It's the usual stuff, you know, business name at the top and a logo and that sort of stuff. No call to action, you name it, right? So with what we're teaching our guys, you know, they have all these done-for-you three-step direct mail sequence neighborhood farming letters, right? And so Neil and Ainsley, I asked him the other day, I said, look, I'm doing this podcast. I know you guys have had a bit of success, but can you give me an update? Now, they're selling effectively high-ticket items, landscaping. Mm. But they've dropped 40 magazines with the letter one neighborhood farming letter so far. They've pulled in 55,808 pounds from those 40 letters. All right. A breakup of, they got five people respond, so it's a 12.5% response rate. They converted 60% of those to design fees, which was the 5,808. And one of those just closed at 50,000 pounds. And they go, so far, right? But the numbers are brilliant in terms of direct mail. You know, like I put each cost at three pounds, allowed 50 pounds for hand delivery. So call it 170. The cost of $4.25 per magazine, right? Each lead was worth 11,161 pounds. Right. For every letter dropped, every single letter was worth £1,395.20p. Love it. You know, how many do you want to send? And they've only just done letter one. They've done no follow-ups to letter two. Because I said to them, I said, go think of the better projects you've done in the last 12 months and take this and drop it to those houses as well. 
Yep. And that's where the 50,000 pound came from. And they also one of them that paid the design fee. So, you know, this stuff still works today. Right? The brain hasn't changed. And it's just a simple offer. It's no longer doing the free quote. You know, we designed the actual free garden assessment report for them. All right. All they had to do was take it to the printer, get it printed off and just follow us. They didn't, these guys don't even go out and do that anymore. They send the designer out. Right? <laughs> so learning to leverage their time. But it's a simple offer, but it's outrageous enough to work in the industry, right? And they, they've got a, the magazine is the lead generation selling tool. Right, it's the vehicle to get it there. Yeah. It's the same. We used to print a magazine at the Mercedes-Benz dealership for our clients. And we did one, I did a localized one for just the dealership. And I would get extra print runs done, you know, an extra 10,000. And then I would pay someone to drop them into letterboxes in all the wealthiest suburbs around our dealership prime market area. Yep. And they would do it for, I think the rate, was, it was ridiculous, like $60 per thousand and most suburbs had two to 3,000 houses. We didn't worry about units, didn't worry about commercial, just houses in really wealthy suburbs around the dealership. And by saturating them, I think four times a year, we just built up that recognition of this is the place. And we'd put in little hooks and stories and specials. And I noticed I could really track the sales to it because we'd do things like uh, Father's Day we would prompt things like selling Mercedes-Benz umbrellas and our parts department would sell out. Like as many as we could stock would sell out. So they're coming only from that channel. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's opportunity. Like, but you saw the opportunity and you did something about it. Yeah, well, once I saw that, I'm like, okay, these things are hot. So I'm putting them on eBay. <laughs> we were selling them off to <laughs> West Australia and to other states. Like we were doing a roaring trade in umbrellas, which is silly when you think about it, but they were super high margin. We could get unlimited supply of them and no one else was focusing on the easy win. But an umbrella is the kind of merchandise or anchor that people are very conscious about when they flip that thing up at a sporting game or they're walking around and, you know, they, having that Mercedes-Benz star on it really started to give them that brand association. And, and it's most definitely, I would argue, going to influence their awareness of the brand if they keep seeing this thing every time it rains and, and they're aware of that, you know, if they don't have one, they want a Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's like the happy meal. Uh, I I like it. Yeah, <laughs> the kids want the happy meal. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's just you know what I'm enjoying. Actually, part of what you know, Barry, Barry's here in Tuscany, we're having like a partnership, sort of three days together, and working our plan out for next year. It's like we've got direct mail happening for his new book, which he's he's come out going to landscapers. We're going to do postcard direct mail, three-step postcards, you know, stuff like that. So it's just all I'm going to be focusing on predominantly is getting direct mail done and testing that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. The other one I've found an unknown sort of one or not talked about much, especially in Australia, is um, buying remnant radio ad space in the U.S., for yeah. little community stations. It's so cheap and you can get quite a lot of ears for a short amount if you put a decent offer in your ad. Have you had any success with audio ads on you know, media platforms? Long, long time ago, um, Radio 4BC in Brisbane were courting me to have my own sort of weekly radio show. And of course, that's not free. You know, you've got to pay them a bit of money first and do a couple of rounds. And yeah, and it was, it was interesting because I'm not a fan of radio generally because people are driving along. But, you know, 
the ads were done and it was designed to offer the free report, but they had to call the, the toll-free number. And I did get I did get business out of it. Right? But I got after after I'd done the second round, the guy that I was dealing with, I said, I'm just gonna prove to you in three or four hours this afternoon, I can ring 30, 40 people that are running their own newspaper ads and make more money than I've pulled in from this. And so he said, really? I go, yeah, I'll tell you the stats. And so I just got the local free community newspaper. I ran 35 businesses. 30 said yes to send out the report. And I sold, uh, I think I sold 10 at a grand, you know, not bad for a few hours work, you know, but the radio ads were yes. They were just offering the free report, but they had to call the toll-free number to be able to get it. And it did work. I, don't, I can't remember exact numbers on it, but it definitely does work. But see, the remnant radio space, I was, someone asked me about remnant newspaper space literally only the other week in Facebook group because I didn't really know too much about how it worked. So like, hey, this is how you do it, bang, 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 bang. But the remnant radio, that's interesting. Well, okay, we've talked a little bit about um, some of the mechanisms and how an offer might be communicated or a prospect could become aware of it and some of the steps. So what are we actually putting in the offer that makes it so compelling that is different to all the pedestrian blah, blah, blah that's out there in the marketplace? Good question. Plenty of answers. Well, I mean, in any case, when you do the research, uh, and as long as your client really understands who's buying from them, then you can just put the right copy together to enter that conversation going on the mind, which you know, anyone that knows anything about marketing or copywriting, they get the concept, but you still got to be able to do it, right? So I look at various things and you know, the thing that sucks the most for me when I see people's advertising, well, they say, oh, you know, since 1995 or been in business 20 years, you can trust us. No one gives a shit about that, right? It's how many products or how many services have you provided in that time and what's the satisfaction rate? Because then you, you've got specific numbers, you've got specific outcome. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I was going to go through was about some adverts that I did for a domestic cleaning company in Australia. And talking to them, I think they were in business since 1991 or something like that. And I was like, yeah, don't care about that. I said, I want to know how many houses you've cleaned since 1991 and how many came back more than once. What's your satisfaction rate? And she said, I probably can't even tell you from when he started because we didn't have good records. But she said, I can get you the results for the last 12 months. Exact numbers, they're 884,000 services in one year. What? Yeah, with a 99% satisfaction rate. So when I wrote the ad, I pulled that just under. I put an 883, 974. But, you know, I wrapped an ad using yes, puts housework on autopilot, you know, tension ladies, puts housework on autopilot. And then this was the short ad. The cleaning company you choose can greatly affect how clean your house is when it's finished. When you want to come home from work, shopping, or after spending quality time with your family, loved ones and friends, and know that your home is as fresh as a mountain dew, spotless, even your washing and ironing done by a cleaning company that has carried out 883,974 services in X year with a 99% satisfaction rate, you need to call us now, right? So it's hitting all those, you know, results and solutions and backing it up with specifics as opposed to we do cleaning services. Who cares? It's also got that emotion there, you know, the 
they're out there shopping with their family, getting little baby chinos and the kids doing the ride on yeah. the pirate ship or whatever and then they come home with the bags and the kids are exhausted and they just want they want that ah uh, you know like you hear music in the background we're like yeah it, this one it's it's oh, like, wow oh, my brand new house <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's so you know but it's looking at those specific the numbers and you know it's interesting when you bring this subject up with a client the first time because they've never just never thought of it or thought that it's anything important how could it be relevant but it is. Well, I guess so they parroting. A lot of people, are, you know, since whatever, since, you know, 1904 or whatever. I think if it's really old, I think sometimes that does help me. If I was drinking an apple cider and the company's been making apple cider for 200 years, I'd think, okay, there's something to that. But if, you know, if it's not that interesting number, then I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's plenty of disruptive new companies that work a lot harder. Like I remember that Avis slogan about, you know, we're number two, we try harder. We try harder, yep. You know, you see all these things like Airtasker popping up and uh, you can get people to do just about anything who've really just gone and bought a vacuum cleaner and started yesterday. With the social media rankings and Google reviews and stuff now, that's part of my buying selection. My shortlist for any trade will be to check reviews. So I would say putting reviews or statistics about your reviews in your offer sounds like a very good idea for a trade because that's really the one thing we're most fearful of as a consumer is getting ripped off. Yeah. Paying money and not getting the result is a, it's a pretty common complaint with trades. And I've continually experienced a variety of um, you know, good and bad services, but by focusing on people who only have good reviews, it certainly limited my negative experiences. Yeah. And then also too, what you can do is, you know, if you understand the snapshot case studies that, you know, that I've spoken about before, you take those reviews and you turn them into, into snapshot case studies. So you can put the reviews in your marketing and your snapshot case studies, you're getting like a double whammy on the proof, even though it's effectively the same person, same business, same company. But you know, yeah, most of the time is just um, getting that emotional side of it, letting that uh, prospect know what your services make possible for them. Yep. All right, James, what would getting your house cleaned make possible for you and your wife and your kids? Or what would getting your lawn mowed make possible for you? Right. And, you know, with that uh, cleaning ad, I mean, I modeled that for my lawn care client a few years later. I just swapped the variables, right, about coming home from, you know, driveways and sideways edge, borders trimmed, all the loose, you know, grass blown off, leaving your lawn looking immaculate, blah, 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 put his stats in there. And, you know, that particular client started his business when he was 12, but he had his numbers, interestingly. And his numbers were 392,000 lawn mowing services since 1982 with a 93% satisfaction rate. Now, again, which business are you going to call his with that sort of great headline, great offer, statistics, specifics, or yeah, we mow lawns, no job too big or no job too small. Yeah, I'm there. You know which one you're going to. There's another service you can't get any supply for at the moment with um, the, yeah. the big wet coming and things just grow so quickly. I was watching a news article about lawn mowing being in short supply across the whole of Eastern Australia at the moment. Oh, wow. So um, it's interesting. I imagine you encounter this a fair bit, but I'm thinking that once you do your work on the offer, the business will very quickly have other problems in terms of capacity. That Do you actually prepare your business owner 
I know this would be a great offer actually. Um, like don't hire us unless you can handle 10 times the business because otherwise you're going to just cause a negative reputation with your audience because you can't get to them quickly enough. Yeah. So do you prepare them for the onslaught or the, the wave or tsunami of business that's about to head their way so that they can provide a great experience? Yeah, I mean, you sort of preempt them that, you know, let's test this first, right? Let's test it and see how it goes. And then based on that test, you know, you might have to prepare for additional staff, this or that, right? Because, a lot, you know, you know as well as I do, you can implode a business. Mm, instantly. They don't have their operations and procedures and systems in place by bringing in too much business on the front end. That's why I prepare my guests. When the podcast is going live, we let them know because there is some small effect of people making inquiries and coming on board after every published episode goes for any service provider. Yeah. For book authors, they see a surge in sales. I wish I had the same Pat Flynn effect that happens when you go on Pat Flynn's podcast <laughs> because he can literally just blow up anything he talks about in our space. And it's just such a wonderful phenomenon to be able to create the Tim Ferriss effect. Yeah. Part of the backstory as to how I ended up with my team in the Philippines is because I read Tim Ferriss's book and like everyone else who read the book, I applied for a Your Man in India VA and they were just basically wiped out for the next year. And so I ended up telling my friend about this and he said, oh, you should try the Philippines. And so that was how we switched countries because of the Timothy Ferris effect. Anything he talks about is just going to – and I imagine Joe Rogan has a similar effect on the market when it comes to his own sort of discussions and experiences as well. Yeah, well, I've um, – my friend Jason who is – you know, Barry and I just started doing our own podcast and Jason does the production of that. But he's the uh, audio engineer for the Jordan Harbinger show. 11, 13 million downloads a month. That's amazing, isn't it? Imagine being on there, right? I I mean, I have such a tremendous amount of um, awe for those publishers who get that amount of downloads. It makes me want to do better podcasts. And I imagine we've got this fellow to thank for your fantastic microphone as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 Well, actually, he's just started putting out little videos. One was on the microphones and then it was, um, he did something else the other day and I was like, and he's quite, it's quite funny. It's quite little eclectic videos, but yeah, I'll, I'll tag you in on Crackbook, have a watch. I think you, you'll enjoy it. But, you know, it's just, we're just, we're just doing what he says to do and we're getting better with the way we're doing things. And when Jordan was on the Art of Charm, he actually invited me to apply for the show. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I'm not now I want to get on it. So I said, Jason, next couple of years, get me on. But um, yeah, you've sort of got to prepare them. And, um, you know, the beauty of what I teach them is always put that limited number in there, the expiration date, because you can always, if you get too many inquiries, too much business, you can say, sorry, you were number 48 and we've had 47 or the expiration date, you know, you can stop yourself getting caught out. I'm a huge fan of dates versus numbers. Yeah, I like both. I think if you're dealing with a product or service that has infinite scale, like electrons, like an information product, I think a date's fantastic because I've actually seen it. I've coached several people who wanted to open a digital membership, for example, and they put a hard limit of 100 people. And I said, look, please, let's get rid of the 100 limit. It's unfair anyway. The others don't know where they are in the queue. There's no transparency. Just put a date. And in one case, they sold nearly 500 memberships and no real extra (laughs) cost of fulfillment or or serviceability. And I'm like, oh, thank God we changed it to the date. 
Now, if you're selling a personal service, like for example, my partnerships, where I'm partnering with businesses, I really only have a finite capacity for that. That's the, the right number for me to still be able to surf every day and for them to have enough attention and to get a great result. I've got my number. So that is a serious case of valid scarcity and makes it very appealing for the people who, who are in and they know they're in a good spot and it won't get saturated or blown out. So I think it, um, yeah, it could be, depend on capacity to deliver. Depend on what's being offered. Yeah, yeah. The, the business coach in me really wants to think about, make sure if you're going to go out there tweaking your offers and making them outrageous, that you can actually deal with the onslaught of business that they may bring. So just a quick recap. We've talked about different modalities. We've talked about increasing capacity. We've given some indications as to how you might have a better offer. So giving specifics about how many people you've served and how happy they are. It's interesting you use the term satisfaction. And I, I always, we got sort of taught the difference between satisfaction and loyalty and why loyalty is a, a more important metric. But I'm sure that's probably not relevant to the offer component. But just from a education perspective, I thought it would be interesting to share this for, if you listen to this, you can have a satisfied customer who's not loyal yeah. and you can have a dissatisfied customer who is loyal. So they say, certainly in the car industry, because you have a long buying cycle and high value items, what you really want is that loyalty and your satisfaction is a secondary measure to loyalty. And I think if you were to show, say, for example, I mentioned a metric, the average client in Superfast Business has been there for 48 months. So that's a loyalty metric. Yeah. And obviously people on a month-to-month subscription, people are not going to stay for four years if they're not getting a result of some kind. And it could be one thing I've learned is it can be a different result for different people. So it's worth doing that research. Again, another little throwaway, Trevor says, you know, after you've done your research, well, hang on a minute. There's more research. Almost nobody does any research ever. Yeah. So that's just a huge win right there. Would you say that if you just did your research, you're already ahead of the market? By a country mile. Yeah. You know, and again, depending on the type of business, and I might say, well, how long, you know, have those clients stayed with you or the repeat service? And and so if they were been with us for a year or six months or eight months or whatever, then that'll go onto the copy as well. It just sort of beefs up those statistics and proof element. But yeah, I love the take on the satisfaction versus loyalty. You know, it's just it's something for me to think about. But even with uh, like the limited number, I obviously I got your, you know, work less, make more book. And I said to my business partner, you got to get this. And he ordered it, he just devoured it. And so we've been even changing our business model. And, you know, we've doubled one level, we've tripled the other. And it's like, we can, we know our capacity limit. We're at 10 between us. And then after that, if you're number 11, you won't get us. We've been very clear on that. And once we even get to X number of actual members, then you and the 10 in that lower level be some other coaches. We're not doing it. We're already positioning them. All right. And it's like, it's not, and it's not a, not a BS number. It's like, you know, I'm taking Fridays off. He's taking Mondays off. We're only doing these on a Wednesday and we're doing them at this time that suits us, not when it suits you, you know? Well, I think there's two basic, two main levels of, of the business game. Uh, one is before you have a great offer and then the second one is after you have a great offer. And the, the offer is really the big differentiator as to what sort of problems you're solving. When you're doing your research and going about your process of crafting a good offer, I've experienced this before. Someone who's wise with copywriting is usually going to ask the business owner, 
to make the most outrageous offer possible that will push the comfort levels of the business owner. What sort of things do you like to ask for if they don't already have it? Well, again, when I've looked at, when I've got the numbers out of them, right, but how many they've sold, you know, whether they're getting called out for poor service or they've got a good, you know, loyalty rate, as, as you say, or satisfaction rate, or, you know, many people are happy to give money and a few people are pissed off. And then I'll look at how much I can stretch the friendship between myself and them on the guarantee. If they don't have one in place, I'm going to go really outrageous on that. And I'll just see what could be offered as some sort of perceived value even to get the prospect to say yes. Now, on the, the first podcast, I spoke about the picture framing clients, you know, where we just sent the letter out modeling, modeling a letter that was copyright free with a $50 voucher on it. And, you know, in their eyes, they were, oh, there's going to be almost 1,800 letters go out at $50 there. They're thinking it's 90 grand. I was like, well, it's a limited number to begin with. Your costs are 45%. So let's call it 50%. It's really only 25. There's a limited number. So it's not going to bite you on your backside, but you need to humor me and you need to run it. You can't play safe. This is a calculated risk, not a crazy risk. And what I've found though, James, every time I come up with that sort of offer and the really like ridiculous guarantee in their eyes and they're hesitant to run it, it's always, always a winner, right? Isn't that interesting? Two side aspects to that. Uh, previous guest that I had was talking about this concept where you can insure against someone winning the odds of a big payoff or something. And the second aspect was that there have been historically some major flops where people ran outrageous offers that did sink them because they didn't look at all the gotchas or whatever. Um, like, you know, mostly they're corporate people doing stuff with big corporations, making offers that made no commercial sense and that customers were very keen to take them up on it <laughs> and then drown them out. And you probably, I think they're sort of written up in marketing classes as, <laughs> yeah. you know, textbook case studies of silly behavior in a marketing role. So, how do you run the sort of filter to protect against the possible negative outcomes? Of course, what I'm doing here is seasoning a business owner to give them some capacity to make a judgment as to whether this is ludicrous risk or not. Yeah, well, okay. So when they're, let's say this is, it's all foreign, this outrageous offer and putting it back, even putting some sort of ball to guarantee in there and it scares them. I just reinforce that well, you're giving me these numbers you said this about your business or your process. So as long as that's correct, then you really do have a limited risk on this, right? You've got to humor me and test it, but we test small, right? We test small. If for some reason it's wrong, well, then you've only done that small test. You haven't gone all out and, you know, found out it's blown up in your face and, you're going to go under or you're going to get a lot of complaints or you can't handle the capacity and all that sort of stuff. So I, I throw the numbers back on them. It's not like passing the buck back. I want them to understand that this is the information they've given me. I'm basing it on that. Mm. And therefore, if your information is correct, then this won't bite you. So it's a hypothesis based on a spreadsheet, basically, that of numbers that can be confirmed and validated. Yes. Nice. Right. And even though it'll still, it still scares some people, don't get me wrong, 
Well, we've all seen that, you know, the supermarket chain that puts out a special offer that's way too cheap and then they have brawls in the shop and people fighting over <laughs> yeah. the limited supply, that, you know. It, um, and often when you go and visit a, a store, they've got a, a sign out the front saying, you know, that we apologise, we no longer have stock of this or that the price in the catalogue, this is a classic one, uh, was a misprint and it's it yeah. not in fact nine dollars ninety nine. It's you know ninety nine dollars and ninety nine, and they have to apologise and retract their mistake. Where they clearly, you know, the market is very quick to penetrate vulnerabilities in a in a price catalogue. That that will drive consumers yeah. into a frenzy. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Um, you know, like a couple of um, in, and in part of the process when someone's talking about what they offer. And let's say it's, in this case, the, the example I'm going to give you is, was a skip bin company in Melbourne, right? Now, I know in the, you know, in the construction game, you know, they're losing money if that skip bin doesn't turn up on time, right? Let alone getting picked up and all that sort of stuff. Now, when I was talking to these guys, they hired me to write some advertising for them, the yellow pages at the time and some off, you know, newsletter, uh, sorry, newspaper stuff. They only focused on one part of West Melbourne. And, you know, again, during the conversation, which, you know, was sort of nothing to them, I was like, yeah, we can deliver to anybody within two hours, guaranteed. And I was like, does that guarantee mean um, if I use, make that the outrageous offer that, you, you know, you're not going to drop your panties and, you know, lose sleep over it, you're actually going to be able to deliver? And I'm like, yes. So, you know, I, I created the adverts. I called out just to that specific part of Melbourne that they wanted to do business in. And I erred on the side of caution and said, let's make it three hours, right? But, you know, even though talking to Barry here and what a lot of the landscapers go through, the, you know, the skips never turn up on time, right? So they're losing money. And it's like, so that any skipping company you can actually deliver in a certain time period can own the market. That's interesting. That's another sort of capacity strength, isn't it? It sounds like the big discovery for me on this call is that if you have strong capacity to deliver, like if you're actually good at getting results, that should be communicated in your offer. There's a very strong link because most people can't deliver great results. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And if you do deliver great results, but you don't let people know about it, then you know better off than the people who can't deliver great results. In fact, a lot of people who can't deliver great results are actually telling people they deliver great results and don't. Yeah. But they still win the marketing dollar over you. Yeah. And when you have the capacity like that and you know you can deliver, you back it up with a guarantee and you can charge more. Pretty simple. And how did that one go? Uh, smashed it. They come back the next year, wanted me to write a, an even bigger ad. Uh, they come back two more years. And every time the yellow page ad went up, why? Because of the amount of business they were getting, right? And you know how hard it is in yellow pages. You're competing with every, you know, everyone in that category. So your adverts got to stand out. So I was like, okay, well, you're going to pay for the white background for starters. And we're going to do red spot. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, red spot is just white background with a newspaper ad, black font, and red highlights certain words in red like you would with a yellow highlighter. If you put too much red, you lose the effect. It looks horrible. You just got to get that balance right. But it was red spot adverts against, so it immediately stood out, right? Called out to exactly the right resident. And it was just a warning style, skip in, delivered in three hours or it's free with five compelling reasons why they should call them first. Right? And again, a bit of a mo- all those, even those five bullet points, 
or five reasons had emotional aspects in there of the copy and just smashed it. It helps you win the telephone roulette, doesn't it? Because the, the person sitting yep. there with the, I mean, we're really revealing our age here, they're sitting there with the phone book <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the, you know, push button or rotate dial phone working their way through the listings, they're going to go for the ones that are the most appealing first. Yeah. And if they get what they want, they stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it would be nice to know their actual stats on that because it was such a long time ago, but it's just like any skipping company, again, if they had this together, could just model that and knock that off and make bank. Well, I get, that's it. Big point. If there's something that you can deliver that most of your competitors cannot that would be a good starting point to put into your offer and highlight for your prospect, no matter what industry or market you're in. Yeah. And, you know, something else that I've done before, and it's about, you know, win free X for a year. Right. Right. Some sort of service. And, you know, I've, I was listening to some audio tape from, I don't know if it was Kennedy or someone, you know, when I first got into this, into this game and, also in the manual, there's this advert, wind-free beer for a year, you know, and just sort of, it went on to say, well, imagine, you, you know, there's James Beer Shop on the left and Toe Crackers Beer Shop on the right, and you're selling your beer for, you know, a carton for 24 bucks, right? My cartons might be 27, but it's, hey, wind-free beer for a year. You know, which beer store you're going into, you're probably not going to go into yours, you're going to go into mine for the chance to win. Right. And with that one, are they actually doing the beer or are they just doing a lottery that's insured against the win like John Dwyer talked about? Well, in that particular case, I don't know because they were just it was a quick snapshot of the ad. I guess it doesn't even matter, right? Right. But then I, I modelled that for a shoe store client in Lismore, right? right? Yeah. Good old Lismore, right? And you know where that is and it's not exactly a place to have a- It's a remote town for our internationals. Yeah. Yeah, it's about what? three hours sort of west of Sydney and two and a half hours west of Sydney and similar from Brisbane down, right? Now, imagine you buy a shoe store there and you're selling all the high-end boutique shoes, ladies' shoes that would normally be sold in Darling Harbour shops. I came up with advert, obviously direct mail stuff, direct mail copy, and the whole angle was around win-free shoes for a year, right? The copy was very emotional about how women love shoes and Etc. 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 And I wanted to give away. I said, give away two thousand dollars worth of shoes, sort of a pair a month. And she came back and went in at twelve hundred. Right. Her costs. Are in, this is in gross value. Hundred dollar pair of shoes cost her less than fifty. Cost her forty three on average. Right? But that hook, that angle, you know, and what else that went into the copy to get people to respond just was an absolute, you know, smash hit for her. She had women driving from Brisbane right, wow. to go to the sort of special offer. I've noticed the offers like that, they get shared in social groups these days. If someone finds it, it's going to be shared in a group and people are going to point it out. So I love this one. I used it to build a 10,000 email list at the Mercedes dealership. It was win a weekend in a Mercedes Benz. Nice. And, you know, we, we checked the lottery laws and we put a – it was a guessing competition. You had to – you know, it was like – Mercedes B space NZ and you had to fill in the missing letter and it was um, and they had to tick a box to say they were okay with us sending them email updates and went from zero and it was just a little flyer that we took everywhere out in the marketplace and when we did a launch we collected over a thousand a day when we did a 
<laughs> a product formula launch in the Mercedes dealership. So that was good. I've also seen it work well um, with when I did a book launch for my Work Less, Make More book. I had a competition and that went well. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. It's, it's a very easy offer to make, especially sometimes I'll include some coaching or whatever. I, it's an offer that I can make. It's a limited scarce supply. It's of high value. I can control it. The important thing is, and I think this is really worth saying, it's important to make the thing that people get for free the thing that they're also interested to buy, not something separate. So the, the mistake I see people make around this, they offer a free iPad or something. Like if I was a piano teacher offering a free iPad, then that's a mismatch because you're not now only targeting people who want to learn piano. You'd rather offer free piano lessons for your child for a term or whatever. Yeah. Oh, by the way, when I was really cutting my teeth on marketing, while I still had a job, I was helping my friend with his acting school. And what I did was we did an offer was, which was win free acting classes and we put the flyers in the video stores all around the suburb because all the wannabe actors are going to the video store hiring videos all mm-hmm. the time. And I said to him, he'll just need to put someone through class for a term for free, you know, and then... We also announced it in the local newspaper who the winner was. He got a free ad, uh, like a write-up <laughs> yeah. in the paper with his picture and, and stuff. So it was a really good opportunity. And in the Mercedes dealership, we used to give away driver training lessons to learner drivers. So they could go to the track and learn in a safe environment you know, how to drive these Mercedes-Benz vehicles. We'd give the tickets away and they'd get written up in the local newspaper. Love it. So you combine some of these techniques, right? The, imagine the family there, they're getting their little flyer four times a year in their letterbox, a high quality glossy magazine thing. They see it in their little new, the section, the giveaway of the learner driver, you know, looking after the market. They catch a little flyer, they get to the idea of winning a Mercedes Benz and they're seeing all these Mercedes umbrellas coming around the suburbs. Like, it all stacks on top of each other and crafts a story there of market ownership. Yeah. So, um, Trevor, thanks for sharing some of these offers with us today. Uh, my pleasure. It's, you know, you could probably do two or three more episodes. Well, you, you probably should. Just on offers, you know, because it's, it's just so much there. You know, I was literally looking for something on my laptop this morning, you know, trying to find a file, couldn't remember the name, and I see something, I was, holy shit, that was good. It was just something that was done, you know, a long time ago. But again, it was another outrageous offer for a carpet cleaning client instead of offering, you know, coming to do the quotes. And it's like, yep, that's pretty good. You know, you look at something you haven't read for a, a long time. It's like, yep, that's why that worked, you know. So, no, I, I enjoy obviously talking about it because then I learn from you at the same time because you've, you know, you throw in what you've done and uh, everyone that listens to the podcast wins, I think. It's sort of a testimony to, you know, if you have a couple of individuals out there circulating around the world trying different things, it's good when we can have this sort of chat. I know we haven't just rolled out 50 offers for people to go away, but hopefully I think there's some really deep insights in today's discussion. We should also let people know where to find you, Toe Cracker. Where can we catch up with your latest and greatest these days? Well, it's uh, the website is still unlimitedsuccessclub.com. Find me on Facebook, obviously, under Trevor Toe Cracker Crook. And if you're so inclined, join Beers, Bourbon and Business and where I don't hold back, you know. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. Um, That's three episodes up. Uh, Hopefully we get a few more. We've got a few more stories to share and some more travels to indulge us with. (laughs) Looks, it sounds good uh, to me. You know, the first one I did, I was in Costa Rica. Second one, I was in America. This one, I'm in Italy. And maybe the next one, I'll actually be at home in Panama, but who knows? 
We'll see. We'll find out. The only way to know, of course, yeah. is to stay on board super fast business. This is episode 913. We will put a full transcription up there at superfastbusiness.com and a few highlights and uh, some insights. If you enjoyed this episode, then let Trevor know. Let me know. I always love your feedback. And if you've got any questions or topics you want us to address in a future episode, then I reckon we'd be down for that. Thanks, James. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.